I'm Nyan Ramachandran. And I'm Dan Stern. And, and this, this is, is Jay Play, Play, the Plays and Podcast. To Jay Play, the Plays and Podcasts. I guess we thought it was the last episode last week, but this week is the actual last episode. Is this a podcast stretch goal where we have stretched into a new last <laughs> podcast? Oh my god, you are so topical. That would be Ben Judd being topical as ever. I am Nine Ramachandran, and I'm also joined by the third person who is, last but not least... Oh crap, I'm the third person. <laughs> uh, I'm Dan Stern. Dan Stern. Dan Manstern. And I'm here to remind you that this is not the last episode, like, not the last, last episode, but the last episode for the uh, Bloodstained Kickstarter. That's correct. You guys are going to continue this. We're going to keep going. After after Bloodstain has finished its Kickstarter campaign, Jay Play the Playism Podcast is going to be the Playism Podcast. So. Yes, it will be a thing. Okay, and what sort of guests and what sort of schedule can we uh, assume will occur with this? We're actually going to slow down a little bit. Okay. So after this episode, we're not going to be doing weekly. Weekly is, uh, is a little more than we're able to handle. Yep. So we're going to try and, uh, we're going to try and do monthly. That sounds right. I think it's I think it's doable, right? But at least, you know, you guys positioned as the, you know, epicenter of the indie gaming scene in West Japan means that I'm sure you're going to have some great content, some great guests. So, anybody who has liked this podcast, you should definitely continue to give it a listen because I have to admit, you know, Nine, you have a very deep, you know, sexy voice and Dan, you know, you're not bad yourself, so. <laughs> I'll take not bad. That's not bad. <laughs> well, hold on. Did you did you have a chance to actually listen to the the final version of uh, last week's episode? Absolutely not, because we had to cut out so much stuff because because things have changed. Because things have changed so much. Reading the future is a surprisingly inadequate, uh, inaccurate, uh, difficult thing to do. I have found out, especially when there are so many moving pieces to a Kickstarter campaign, which is why I would like to say that I hope that at this point in time we're going to make history. Because our current number is $3,631,000. Holy crap. Yeah, it's and amazing. we have about four, day, four and a half days left. Holy crap. Amazing. No one, no one saw this coming. And we haven't even hit, you know, we haven't hit what is characteristically the white hot last two days of the Kickstarter campaign. You know, we're still in that lull. The lull has been far less what lulls usually are for Kickstarter campaigns. Right, lull no, kind of does not describe it accurately at all. No one has had a lull like this. Like, our lowest day was 36000 but we have, on average, put up about fifty dollars to $60,000 days, which is amazing. Like, and you look at comparative Kickstarters, they're usually averaging about thirty. dollars uh, Even, you know, the currently other two hot Kickstarter campaigns at this point, uh, Ukulele and Bard's Tale 4, they're averaging about ten dollars to $15,000 a day. And, you know, honestly, the, the, the coolest part about this whole project is that we're seeing so many people, and I keep saying this every episode, I feel like a broken record, but people are so into it, even now. Even they've already backed it. Like, they've already backed it. They could just, like, you know, I'm the kind of person who usually, you know, usually when I back a project, I'll back it, and then I'll be like, well, I backed that. Time to go back to whatever I was doing before. And I'm the person who they need to, like, hunt down to be like, no, really, Send us your address info because your physical copy won't get to you otherwise. 
because I, for- I completely forget about projects that I back. And I'm so happy that so many of the backers for this project are not that. Like, they're just invested in it. They're excited about it. You're happy they're not you. Yes, exactly. (laughs) I'm so happy they're not me. I mean, it's one thing to be like, you know, to pay and forget. Or it's one thing to like, you know, back and then maybe maybe re-up or maybe upgrade your your backing level. But I've seen so much, like, so many people putting in, like, a lot of extra time, you know? It it would be easy for me to be like, ah, yeah, you know. Backing at a certain level, it's like, you know, buying a game or something. I just consider it like a pre-order. Absolutely, and you know. forget about it. But, you know, people put, they, they back and then they, they draw all these pictures and they, they, you know, get involved with the process and they talk about what they what they want to see or how they feel about what they have seen. It's, it's amazing to me. It's super cool. It's a, like really positive energy, <laughs> which is totally the opposite. Totally the opposite of what we all saw today which was something that was incredibly, sadly negative, but at the same time, I, I don't know, how do we all feel about this? Like, oh, you... it set, like, we're, you know, I'm, of course, talking about the final, I guess, oh, hopefully, the final video update for Uwe Boll's, that's, that's how you say his name, right? Uwe Boll? Uwe? I don't speak that language. Uwe Boll's Kickstarter for Rampage 3, wherein... Which was, it followed the highly unsuccessful campaign of Postal 2. Postal 2, yeah. Tell you what. And one more. There was one more, too. There was another Rampage 3. I think in Indiegogo. He had reduced the, the, you know, the basic uh, funding level of, down to like 100000 I believe it was. Eventually, eventually yeah. he's going to find that number, which I would consider the Uwe Boll sweet spot, which I think may be $25. Oh, damn. <laughs> then he'll be able damn. to oh, he, he obviously continues to exploit multiple different crowdfunding sources and sites and constantly lower what that minimum goal is and still not have a lot of success. Uh, And, you know, for those of us who don't know who he is, he pretty much conned the German government out of a lot of money, convincing them that, hey, you know, supporting the arts, supporting the movie-making industry is a a smart idea. Uh, Without a doubt, he must be a silver-tongued devil. He must be really good at pulling money uh, out of people. But here's the good news that after he did that to the German government, when he tried to do it to average everyday Joe on crowdfunding sites, he did not succeed. <laughs> well, that, that, that really shows how savvy Kickstarter backers really are. You know, like, they really are a savvy bunch. I mean, like, they're not just going to go and back whatever it is because, ooh, look at that cool picture. Like, mm-hmm. they really, they, they, they look at the campaign, they check out everything that's available, they read the updates, and, you Well, also, don't forget, I mean, he has a history at this point of, like, not delivering like quality of not treating backers well, of not like respecting the people he's working with. And that's the thing that is very, it's very much the opposite of what Ega as a creator uh, represents. Obviously, they're both in two very different fields. Ega's the guy that's done this seven times. So if there's going to be a single creator that I'm going to bet my money on that, oh, you know, sure, we're not seeing a bunch of stuff that's up and moving. But it's going to be like, yeah, this guy, like, he's never really failed me when it came to, like, a side-scrolling Castlevania game, ever. Mm-hmm. And he's been able to put one out, like, every 1.5 years. So that shows he can keep a schedule, and he knows how to make this game. And largely, every one of the games that he has done have been pretty awesome. So I can go into this having a lot of faith, and it makes it much easier to make the leap from point A to point B. So, where otherwise, if you're talking about, well, you're talking about uh, Far Cry and um, House, House of the of, Dead. House of the Dead, yeah. I was about to say House of a Thousand Corpses. Very different, very different movie. Also terrible. Also, well, yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, the thing was, the, 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 the saddest thing about this whole Uwe Boll thing is not, is not even the fact that, you know, he conned 
German government, the fact that he made terrible movies, but that in the end, instead of gracefully bowing out of his campaign... He has a name that's really hard to pronounce. That's the worst. <laughs> that is the absolute worst. No, the worst part really is... Is it a WL or a 2L? The content or? of the video has nothing to do with it. It's really the name. It's, it's, it's very off-putting. <laughs> very off-putting. Honestly, like, the, really the worst part of all this is that instead of gracefully bowing out of the campaign and being like, you know, thank you for everybody who did back, you know, I'll return with a new plan, he literally made... A video, the name of which is... You kiss your mother with that now? You all. And and here's the, the best part about this. A lot of people, I've seen that, that video be put on Rotten Tomatoes and it's 98%. So it's the best, <laughs> it's the best thing he's ever done. No, it's not, it's, it's not on Rotten Tomatoes. But it should be because I bet it will be the best thing. It's the passion in the actor's voice. It really, I felt his angst. Really, I, I, really I almost believed it. it. He really felt it. Yeah. Spe- speaking of uh, just investment and believing in someone, um, I'm going to tell a little, a little aside. Something I feel a little guilty for, but feel better about now, and that is I ran uh, a large portion of the Mighty Number no. 9 campaign. Uh, that was with 8-4 at the time, two years ago. Uh, and at the time, I didn't back, even though that was the biggest Japanese Kickstarter uh, slash crowdfunding campaign. And it wasn't because I didn't want a, a new Mega Man-esque game. It was merely just because the idea of crowdfunding uh, hadn't really taken me. Right. But with this, just because of how much I like Iga as a human being, uh, I'm like, you know what? I got to jump in. I got I got to get I got to get in on the action, the excitement, especially if we're going to make history. I want to be a, a guy that said, you know, I had faith. I believed whereas other people that were like, oh, I'll wait till it's released, you know what? They can non-believe. I'll be a part of the the side that wins. I want to be a winner. And I want to be a winner by believing in people that I like. You know, and actually, you know, the the thing is that I've always been a fan of Iga's Castlevania games, but the short time that I've I've spent in a room with him, uh, and then also in Skype meetings with him, and you know meeting him and having him talk in a meeting and just talking with him one on one very quickly, he is so soft spoken. Like it's it's actually very surprising. He's a very soft spoken person. He's very humble, and. There's there's something so endearing about just chatting with him mm. about about video games, about control, about you know, about music, about any number of things involved with things that he's worked on and maybe not worked on at all. He he has a strong opinion, but he's always very soft spoken and humble about it. I was gonna say like that's not to say that he he's not like he doesn't speak with a with a strength like a, a strong confidence. Not at all. Um, not at all. He's he's both humble and confident at the same time. It's it's a, it's a really cool like um, you know, attitude to run into. Like how he was in the Mega 64 video. Did we all see that? Oh my god, that so, video was so good. I watched that multiple times. It's so funny because, again, to get a Japanese person to, to, to do that, and people didn't see the outtakes. Like, I was there filming it. That was actually filmed in the Twitch office. I just kind of did it to joke with him. I said, I said, jump whip. You need to jump whip when he's fighting the uh, vampire. Uh, and he ends up jump whipping and falling on the ground several times because he was just exhausted from being on an airplane oh for, for 14 hours and doing a string of interviews, uh, doing the, the Twitch event, doing that as well. So just exhausted. But he was still jump whipping the vampire. And he was more afraid of hurting the vampire actor than anything else. <laughs> to the point where he did himself like bodily injury. And like afterwards, he's like, oh, my foot hurts. I'm like, oh, sorry. They really didn't say jump whip. No, but... Um, 
that sort of guy that's got that sort of sense of humor is awesome. The, the best part of that video, I'll say this and then we'll move on, <laughs> but the, the best part of that video, vampire cell phone. Wow, a Nokia. Truly an ancient beast. <laughs> <laughs> they went between ancient monster, beast, you know, things, but it's like... It's, oh, it's yeah, just fantastic. <laughs> totally awesome. But uh, speaking to, you know, pledging, so I pledged, and this campaign, you know, it, it's got a variety of different, like, very interesting premium merchandise the higher you go up the ladder, which is traditionally what Kickstarters do. And on Monday, so this will be probably in, what, 12 hours from now, of course, it'll be in the past by the time that people hear the podcast. So really, it's like 96 hours ago. That's right. Mm-hmm. You're about to be taken. <laughs> oh, sorry. That's the, uh, that's the uh, Japanese name of taken. Uh, 96 hours. Anyways. That's Wait, the really? Name of, yes, it is. Oh, okay. Um, we have announced the collaboration with uh, Yoshitaka Amano. And not only that, he's going to be doing a charcoal brush uh, poster for the campaign. For those that don't know, uh, obviously, Vampire Hunter D, he's done some art for that. You know, he is familiar with the gothic uh, slash creatures of the night sort of art style. Yeah, if I recall, Bloodlust was based solely on his artwork, right? So, exactly. There you go. He is the perfect fit. Uh, I assume there's going to be some people that say, oh, he's the Final Fantasy guy. He's been doing art for like 60 years. I told a Japanese friend that Yoshi Takahamano is going to be doing the poster for this. And they're like, what? Like, <laughs> that guy? You know, yeah. he mm-hmm. did some of the manga that I read in like the 70s when I was a young child. So, it's like... Amazing. So for yeah, us to so be able to present got some work then? Yes. It's so good. It's so good. Like, the guy doesn't do bad stuff. So, um, and if you ever went to a studio, which I did, for talking about this deal Oh, with my him, God, I'm so jealous. Uh, it had, I think, a Final Fantasy. What's the panther creature that, like, has, like, the... There's a panther creature, I think, that can, like, kill you with one hit with a special move or whatever. Oh, is it? It's a robotic panther, yes. He yeah. actually has a model of that. Like an actual, like, oh my god, six foot that. long by two feet, three feet high model. Oh my god, and I'm just like, awesome. it's like going into like Yoshitaka Amano Disneyland when you go to their <laughs> studio. It's amazing. Anyways, I actually got a T-shirt from that from that exhibit uh, when he did it in Yokohama. So that's that's obviously very awesome. Two hundred fifty dollar tier, and I'm currently at one sixty, and that'll be me pulling the trigger to get up to to two fifty because I want that poster hanging on my wall, and it's going to be beautiful. Charcoal print, awesome, and obviously Fan Gamer uses very high quality paper, so it'll be amazing. Actually, the exhibit, man, like I I was afraid I was going to like do something stupid and get myself a divorce because like I was I was so close to buying a five thousand no five thousand dollar painting. I was going to propose to a five thousand dollar painting. I was like. I bet I could pay this off in a couple of years if I, if I go sign some papers or something. My wife would have murdered me. Like, a divorce would have been, like, the least of my Inst- worries. Instantaneous divorce get. <laughs> the other thing we've announced by now is the uh, premium content for the $60 backer tiers, which is that the hidden boss is, in fact, no other than... Dun-dun-dun! It's Ega! Lord Ega. Darth Ega. Dark Ega. Whatever his name's going to be. Darth Dark Lord Ega. I'm pretty sure we can't do Darth. <laughs> we actually, so what's great about this is when you're doing the planning meetings, right, before you launch the Kickstarter campaign, we're like, we want you to be the boss. And Ego's like, I don't know. I don't I know if he fits this. in. I, I don't know if I would fit in there. It just feels kind of weird. To, I wouldn't I'm... want to break up the, wor- the world that we're creating, you know, kind of, you know, it breaks up that the inclusion and whatnot. You know, I want to be immersed in the game. The only creator I can think of that actually does not want to self-insert. That's yeah. right. That's yeah. right. And so, like, you know, again, that's his, his humility. That's his humble nature. 
but we had to like negotiate with him <laughs> so that we could get him in the game. And the reason why it's great is because after we launched the campaign, people organically were saying, I want Iga as a boss, which meant that yeah. our read as fans was on the money. Absolutely. Right, which Absolutely. feels great. And of course, the other thing that's great about it is as it is uh, backer exclusive content, which we know people are torn on, at least it's the hidden ego boss, you know, yeah. just, mm -hmm. you're not fighting the super badass death monster or whatever. This is, it's a little inside joke kind of to fans. It still will in fact be a boss and you'll get the sword whip, but it, it, it's something that obviously speaks to the fan base that if you're not a fan and you didn't reserve it during this time, then you're not going to be able to fight Iga as a boss, but I, I guess you'll be all right about it. But it's also this like hugely personal thing, right? It's like, indeed, because Iga is the boss, you know, like, you you don't, yeah, exactly. Like, you don't walk in there and it's like a succubus or death or whatever. Like, that would be, that would be like you're taking real content away from right. other people. Or the president of Konami. That would be <laughs> that super would... weird. Im also Im super illegal, I'm pretty <laughs> sure. Imanko? Imanko? What do we call What's his name? We reverse it so we can use that. I don't know. <laughs> Dr. Imanko. Oh, my oh, God. Wow. Dr. Imanko, like, that... That really works. I honestly, that works so well. Yeah, we're never doing that. Though. We're never, we're never doing that. No, I actually say that like it being a Kickstarter project too brings it sort of like a step away from game world in the first place. Yeah. So the fact that like backers have a connection with Ego, that they're like they're supporting him when he needs it most, that they're like supporting the game before it has even been made. Sort of like in the first place, it breaks the game world to a small extent. It's not just a game at that point. It's a it's a project that they've shared in on. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Absolutely. I kind of hope that when Iga appears, he says thank you for supporting me, and then kills you. <laughs> that would be supremely awesome. I, I really hope that happens. <laughs> so uh, I think that is probably a good spot too. Yeah, we're gonna take a break. When we come back, we got lots more to talk about. Awesome, awesome stuff. J Play will be right back. First topic, actually, we need to talk about is something that is, I believe, the purview of Ben. That's right. So, um, very rarely does a developer, I mean, there's there's developers of varying sizes, obviously Bungie, you know, 200, 300 people, to, you know, the uh, creator of Axiom Verge, just one guy, you know, doing all of the jobs. Who, by the way, calls himself a solo dev, which I think is just so cool. It sounds so neat compared to, to Indy, because he's both Indy and solo. I love that. What would two people be then? Duo? Duo. Duo dev. Duo dev. Try dev. Well, there you go. From now on, that's what I'm doing. It's really Quattro struck when I, when I saw his card and it said solo dev on there. I just thought it was so cool. He hit four, you, get, you better come with quattro dev. There you go. Sorry, we're, we're interrupting. We're totally ruining. Totally, yes. Totally ruining everything. Go so, ahead. anyways, as I was trying to have a moment uh, with the listeners, <laughs> that is, a lot of people still have doubts and question marks about Armature's uh, ability to do the porting or to do the Wii U and VDSQ. And, you know, NeoGAF is a website that has a lot of industry insiders on it, and some of them are saying, no, you know, it's not possible, whatever. Uh, UB4 is not on those two platforms. It's true. Uh, it is not on those two platforms, uh, which means that it's going to be a lot of work. 
does that mean because something is a lot of work it's impossible? No, it is not impossible. And Armature is a sort of developer that's only going to sign up to something that they truly believe in. So um, we've talked with them, and you know, one of the things that Kickstarter represents is indie developers getting a chance to do something. And if you look at something like Shovel Knight by Yacht Club Games, things like the Wii U or the Vita, these are platforms that have a lot of very strong indie content on them, more so than you know a, a PlayStation 4 or even an Xbox One. Absolutely. So these are very attractive platforms, and right now Unreal Engine 4 is a very attractive engine. Uh, but again, it's not supported on those platforms uh, for a wide variety of reasons. Well, we talked it over with Armature, and uh, I think we've made this announcement by now, but they're going to work on creating the code that will allow the main game to work on those two platforms and then give it back. They're going to pass it back over Epic's code base so that people can borrow that code in a way to try and take their indie games and bring it to those platforms. That is so awesome. So that is, that is a way in which they are giving back to the indie community, and that, again, only happened because of this Kickstarter. So say what you will about kicking it forward, this 5% number of revenue, but this is actual technology that will allow uh, indie developers who are maybe solo devs or duo devs or whatever to come in and... Uh, approach a wide variety of different platforms that they know and love. So that is probably one of the biggest things that a Kickstarter campaign can do. That actually gives the community in a, in a far greater like capacity than just within uh, the Kickstarter world. It'll allow people to to you know do work on platforms that would otherwise be completely locked out, and it it, it really affects everybody. Well, we're talking we're talking about a code base, right? And Codebase, I mean, the minute it joins the Epic library, it means it proliferates outwards to everybody who wants to have access to it. doesn't matter if you've done a Kickstarter. doesn't matter if, you know, you're, you're a small dev, you're a large dev. I mean, this could even help larger companies that want to actually take their UE4 games to Vita, to, to Wii U. I mean, this, I mean, that's amazing. I mean, like, granted, you know, there are companies that have the ability to go out and do that research to create that code base. But why would you want these companies to waste their money when you have, like, Armature doing something amazing, actually willing to, like, create a code base and sharing it with the rest of the industry? That's insane. It would be there early on in, in UE4's life cycle, too. I mean, that's, that's going to be something that's useful for quite a while. Absolutely. So, again, this is something that shows that with Kickstarter, you know, you are investing in a concept, but there is so much goodwill that's created by everyone's pledge of $60 or $28 that you're actually making the game industry something that has a lower point of entry for a lot of different independent developers. So that's something that just you can feel really good about, you know. So with that said, the next thing to talk about is special merchandise. Special merchandise. What does that mean, Ben? <laughs> what the, with the, I'm looking at the notes right now. Special merchandise hyphen, and there's something else that I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say out loud, so I'm going to let you go for it, because I really don't know what this means. The point is this. I've seen a lot of people say, I want the art book. Obviously, it's a premium art book. Uh, I'll be very upset if later that same art book is released for, like, five bucks instead. Ah, uh, uh, okay, okay. Uh, Fan Gamer, ourselves, of course, Inti and Iga, we plan to only release these materials these products, rather, to crowdfunders, to the backers, so to speak. So rest assured, you're not going to be able to walk into a Best Buy or a um, GameStop and get that book for on the cheap. This is a premium product. 
and Fangamer does great stuff, fantastic work, matter of fact, that you're only going to be able to get on the campaign. And matter of fact, I'd be surprised if you don't see these sort of high-quality, premium, limited-edition products uh, be sold on, like, Yahoo Auctions or eBay or something for a much higher price. And let me tell you, uh, people who listened to uh, last week's podcast in which I interviewed uh, Dan Moore from Fangamer, um, you know, I asked a lot of questions of him that were very sort of pointed at, you know, what not just what their future was, but like how they got together and what brought everybody together. What is the philosophy behind Fangamer? And I'm not, I'm not really sure what people thought of that interview in terms of like, did I go in there having researched it? I actually walked into that interview. This is the first interview we've done for the show in which I walked into that interview with no questions whatsoever because I'm already like a gigantic fan gamer fan. I have been buying their stuff. Like the very first thing I ever bought from them was the Mother 3 Strategy Guide, which is the first thing that really got them off, like really started like getting the wheels turning and getting them really popular, all their, their physical stuff. I've got a bunch of their shirts. Uh, when we were at PAX East uh, working the Playism booth in Indie Mega Booth, we dropped by the Fangamer booth and uh, we picked up a pack of playing cards, t-shirts, prints, all kinds of stuff. Their books are amazing. Actually, one of my favorite things that they've done, and it wasn't what I bought at the uh, last pack seat, but the one before it, they put out a Pokemon, like it was a bird watching guide. It was like designed like an old school bird watching guide, but it was a it was a Pokemon guide. And all the art for each of the Pokemon didn't look like the anime. They looked like what they would look like if they, somebody had seen a real one and then drawn it on a piece of paper. Some of them look ghastly. Like, they look terrifying, but it was, like, so amazing. I wouldn't say realistic, but it looks the way you expect a bird-watching guy to be drawn, right? Exactly. They're almost monstrous in a weird way. So since these are collector's sort of editions, then why not get two? Why not? Maybe sell the other one for a profit. <laughs> that sounds like something a dirty agent would say. <laughs> Absolutely not. No, just get one for yourself, one for your uh, wife and your five kids, and you're good to go. That'll, exactly. that'll work just, too. Just five. So um, moving forward to the stretch goals. Now, at this time, we have announced that there are stretch goals at 4, 4.25, 4.5, 4.75, and the hidden, the bottom of the basement $5 million stretch goal which everyone has asked me already 150 times, what is it? Just not 5 million times? And I, Well, it might get up to that number by the time it's all said and done. And I have, uh, of course, replied that Lord Iga would never allow his most closely guarded secret to be revealed by someone as lowly as myself. And it's also, it's as you said in the last episode, it is face-meltingly good. Now that you have heard it, we all know what it is. I have it, no face. That's a non-face mouth that is talking my, right now. It's my, quite disgusting. My face wasn't ready. So what does that mean? It melted. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> there you have it, folks. Three melted faces. Trust me, you do not want a picture of what's happening. But to, <laughs> to go forward a few steps to the 4.5 million uh, stretch goal, which I do think is like the $5 million stretch goal, that is, for lack of a better word, a stretch, a huge stretch. We may very well not get there, and that makes a grown Ben Judd cry. But... The 4.5, based on uh, kick tracks and all other 1 million plus uh, Kickstarters during the last four days, mm -hmm. that's a, a realistic goal, believe it or not. We can very well get to 4.5. Like I said, we're at 3.6, uh, 3.2 now, I think, and there's already 110,000 in PayPal, so we're pretty much already at 3.75, which means we're, you know, $750,000 away from getting there. In four days, totally can it can happen in a single day actually in Kickstarter. Absolutely, mm -hmm. especially because you're looking at the last two days, as you know we talked about before. 
those last two days are going to be white hot. There's going to be a ton of people. You know, I, I I remember trying to explain how the Kickstarter curve works to... Uh, it was a Japanese developer who didn't really understand, like, why it's so popular and how why does this curve work this way. And it was, you know, I said, it's, it's very simple. Imagine if you created a game and you had pre-orders open and then the game comes out and then it actually just leaves store shelves 25 days later, right? You've got, like, that... The first... The jump at first is the pre-orders, Right? So where everybody who's just like, I'm in, I'm buying it, day one, I'm totally in, they get it. And then you have the lull, where it's like the legs of the product, which is like, oh, they walk into a store, they buy the game, they, they think about it, oh, I'll pick it up. And then the very last two days are, holy crap, I'll never be able to find this game ever again. To put it in layman's terms, it's the Elaine uh, Seinfeld Today Sponge episode, where she was rushing to get all the Today's exactly. Sponges correct. Exactly. Said a more easy way to... For people of my age. There really is a, a Seinfeld analog for every situation. That's right. True enough. The 4.5 million goal is interesting because, obviously, you know, the idea of an origin story or what's happening before Miriam goes into the castle is cool. But then I've hinted this in the comment section. If Miriam's in a coma, then who is this person? Yeah, who are they? Yeah. And I've talked with Ega about... I don't want to give it away because it's a it, to me it's a very interesting plot point. You kind of want to give it away. Oh, I totally want to give it away. But <laughs> I'm not going to because again, uh, Iga, when upset, is a very he's a very big, tall man, and you know he could crush my uh, head with his bare hands. Uh, <laughs> well, know, so think, think about me dying. I guess, which is really funny. Um, so alchemy is obviously a study, and there are other branches. Of things to okay. consider. Okay. So that's going to be the hint. And I know that's going to make, oh, well, I know it. We probably don't know it. But still, it's interesting to know that there are going to be competing things that may potentially happen around the world at that time. I'm already thinking oh, Full no, Metal no. Alchemist. <laughs> that's the first thing. When you talk about people in alchemy, I was like, Full Metal Alchemist, there's something in there. Okay, so don't listen to what Nyan has to say because <laughs> he's wrong. But it's great that we get this pre-story, the side story that's going to occur, and then tie into the main game and sort of set the tone. That's super exciting for me. So I really, really, really hope that we can get to 4.5. Really? Yes, exactly. That's the sound of me dying. Really? So you can <laughs> And with that, we should probably... Take a break? That's a great idea. That's Excellent. a great idea. we got a lot of other stuff to talk about. Uh, but first, J-Play will be right back. So many cool things to talk about. I can't even. I can't even imagine. Like I'm. I'm so excited for this next segment. I'm so excited for it because it is like for gamers. What's coming up in the next uh, like next week, next two weeks is like a second Christmas. Yes, I was about to say it's like Christmas in summertime. Oh my god, I love it, and it's spaced so perfectly with like actual Christmas. Yeah, it's actually like almost exactly six months. We are of course talking about E3, Electronic Entertainment Expo. Ben, how excited are you for E3? As an agent. I only learned this after becoming an agent. You do all of your key deals in hotel lobbies, and you don't actually get to go to the show. So you're basically asking me, how exciting is it to sit in a hotel lobby for 10 hours for five days in a row? So how exciting so it's like is super it? Exciting, right? it <laughs> so exciting. <laughs> no idea. 
But anyways, that's where the magic happens. That's the spark that gets the project greenlit that eventually makes some of the amazing games that you're going to play in two to three years. So there you have it. Absolutely. You know, E3 is an exciting time for me. First time I went was like 2002 to 2003. Both years I had a great time. It was absolutely awesome to just check out all the games that are out there. It really was like, that was like the magical period for E3. Because that was before things kind of broke down. Things were still like the big blitzy show. And I think it mm. built back up to that. Because the booth babes and yeah, it didn't go to that weird period, period where it was canceled for a little bit. Yeah, like, it was like in hotel, hotel rooms, rooms yeah. the whole time. Actually, I think my first E3 was 2003, maybe as well. Wait, are you telling me that you and I, two people that didn't know each other at the time, might have actually been in the same place? Totally possible. But I probably looked at you and said, oh, that's a big nerd. Yeah, screw that guy. Uh, no, I was actually, uh, I had just joined Capcom, uh, wet behind the ears, and I was on booth duty to talk about the Steel Battalions game. Oh, yeah. 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 Here's the problem with the Steel Battalion game, positionally. It was right below the E3 video wall that Capcom had, meaning it was in the loudest spot. Yeah. Yeah. So you wouldn't yeah. be able to hear anything. And Steel Battalion had approximately... I think, 60 controls on it, of which you needed about 25 of them to just start <laughs> Just your start mech. a level, yeah. Wow. So that meant the 3,000 people that came in a single day, I was literally screaming at them to flip toggle switches <laughs> and to <laughs> press these pedals. And I did that so that by the time of the second day, I think my throat was bleeding because it was literally screaming as loud as I could for 10 hours a day. That seems like very bad plan. Yeah, that doesn't actually sound like magic or any like special like E3 stuff. It sucked pretty hardcore, <laughs> but again, I was new to the industry, and that first E3 is like magic. Isn't it is it? magic. It's totally uh, magic. But fast forward to, to this E3, and something interesting will happen. Lots of interesting things will happen. Something interesting will happen in the Kickstarter sphere, and it will be... Uh, I'm not going to spoil it. People's faces will melt. But I'm very curious what the interpretation is of this hmm. as far as a model. Hmm. Okay. As far as whether people will say yay or nay. Because it will set a lot of precedents potentially from here on out for what Kickstarter means, what Kickstarter can do, uh, and without going into any more detail, I'm very curious what everyone's reaction is. Well, it's going to so. be interesting, right? Because we're uh, up until now, Kickstarter has been basically the mode by which people circumvent the natural order of development and publishing, right? Where it's, you don't just do, like, people are, are able to say, like, I'm going to make an indie game. I'm going to be mad indie, and I'm just going to go in this direction and do it. And Kickstarter has slowly been legitimized over time in development, and I, I think it's going to I be, just think there's a lot of different ways to make a project and, and to move it forward. No, absolutely. And that's, we can't speak any more to it than that, but that's the one super interesting thing for me about seeing what's going to happen at E3. Because it will be interesting to see how people react. It will set a lot of precedents. It will make history. What about E3 for you? Is there anything that you're looking forward to? I can't speak about a lot of things because I know about a lot of things that are going to happen to E3. Is there something you might have been looking forward to? I might have been looking forward to like actually going to E3. <laughs> oh. I was uh, I was supposed to go to E3. Is that, is that a mobile game? An app or Just, something? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. No, I, I was I was going to be at E three, and unfortunately, you know, just because of scheduling conflicts and certain things that happened, unfortunately, I won't be able to go this year. And you know, the, the sad thing is that because we're all based in Japan, something like a scheduling conflict really does ruin the entire trip, the entire ability to go over there. I mean, we if we were based in Colorado or California, we would say like, well, oh well, well, we we'll just have to figure out another way. We'll get there and we'll figure it out. But for us, you know, it is this whole ordeal to get to California. It's like throwing your own cake on the ground. 
Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, unfortunately it can't go, but, you know, the one thing that I've learned about events in general, um, you know, I've, I've, I've done PAX, I've done uh, E3, I've done any number of events, but one thing I have realized over the years, you learn way more announcements by not going. Mm-hmm. You learn, like, you watch the press conferences, you read, you know, IGN or GameSpot or, or whatever site or, or Twitter. People are, you know, things are blowing up on the internet, and you learn way more than you will ever learn, even if you're not running a booth. Mm. Even if you're just at the event, like, looking at stuff, mm. you'll just learn way more by not going. It's weird. And I learned that. That makes perfect sense to me. You can digest so much more so much faster. I've seen people, like, live tweet E3 before, and they've done, you know, yeah, they cover so much so quickly. You're able to digest it a lot easier that way. Oh yeah, yeah. And you miss uh, even if you like uh, you miss a press conference. There's always you know a thread on NeoGAF or on something awful or something that's just pin like a uh, you know bullet points like this is coming out. It has this. It is this. This is the thing that's coming out. Like they they distill press conferences down to you know 15 bullet points. It's insane. Mm-hmm. So um, with that, I would like to move over to the questions from the fans. This is an abrupt. This is, that was quite the segue, I must say. Did you still have more to say on E3? No, not at all. Not at all. I, I, was, I, was just, I just read your mind. No, I, I was just commenting on how smooth that segue was. That's right. <laughs> Super smooth. Super smooth. <laughs> smooth like butter. <laughs> so, um, just very quickly, uh, before the podcast, on the comment section, I asked for some questions. So, oh, we're right. going to run down some of these questions. Okay. Um, ben Judd, will the game be more story-based than previous Egovania titles, or is it going to be kept simple and straightforward? Mm. Again, without giving away too much, it sounds like Ega's storytelling technique is in full force, and he's thinking about multiple branches, a much more robust story. One person also asks, will there be multiple endings? Oh. Guys, guys. Why would you want to know, even if there was? That was one of the most <laughs> exciting things about the first game, is that you didn't know. And then when you naturally discovered it, because the internet didn't ruin it for you like all I mean, current your, games. Your friend's like, Yo, how was that thing? And you're like, that didn't happen. What are you talking about? Exactly. And, it's and like, you can get mad at your friend for ruining it for you. Oh, <laughs> that la- latest Agatha Christie book. Did the butler do it? Yeah, the butler did it. Oh, that's good. That's I, good. I needed to know that before I reading. look forward to reading it. So, no, not in my version. Like, what are you talking about? My version of that same book had a different ending. What? what? That's right. Um, the point is this, the point is this, that Iga, you know, he's, he spends a lot of time on his stories. He wants to make them deep involved. He wants you to earn it as a player. And so, you know, is there an inverted castle? I hope, but he's not going to spoil that for you. Even if there is, maybe there's five inverted castles. Maybe there's none. Who knows? I'm glad that he's keeping it to himself and not trying to turn it into a stretch goal or whatever, because that could have been a very easy one to do. Same thing with multiple endings. So it's exciting that you're excited about it, but ultimately it's much better to discover that when the game comes out for yourself. And then let's see here. What are the results of the sword or whip voting? What was the purpose of the vote? Will we see an announcement of Miriam's voice actor soon? Mm. Is there anything extra beyond the pirate coin achievement or further goals redundant? Like a million questions. So the results of the sort of whip will already be out by now. Right. They will be. And care to tell about what those are? I don't have them. Okay. I don't have them. Gosh, man, I love Do you have them? You actually have them? No, I don't. don't, I don't actually. You say you don't have them. I I have the results, but no, the the concept behind it, between whether a sword is chosen or a whip is chosen, is it's for the game. Right. That will determine one of the stronger weapons in the game right. that you will get, whether it will in fact be a sword or a whip. 
Uh, and I'm pretty sure that it was the uh, sword that won of the contest. Really? But again, people... And the best part about it is, when I saw it before we launched the Kickstarter, the whip was blowing the sword away. And I'm like, oh, God, I want a sword instead of a whip. Hmm. This cool. This is, well, I like I like Egovania games more than I did the original uh, games. And it just boiled down to that. And I equate the sword to Alucard, one of the yeah. coolest yep. characters of all video game history. Absolutely. So, you know... I was hoping, but when I saw that the gap between the whip and the sword was so big, mm-hmm. I was like, well, there's no way the sword's going to win now. Well, apparently, <laughs> the sword people just, like, got craze balls on it and just vote, 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 vote. And in the end, the sword did overtake the whip, which was awesome. And they did it in the last day. So That's that crazy. No kidding. Awesome. Totally awesome. I call shenanigans on that. <laughs> you know what? I'll, I'll get Fangammer to pull out the analytics and we'll prove that you're wrong. So, there you go. <laughs> Anyways, that's all the time we have for fan uh, questions, but like to do a fan call out? Absolutely. Like we always do? Absolutely. You lead it off, Mr. Ramachandran. Oh man, I'm going to break the rules again and pull out my phone like I do every week. The first one I wanted to call out, it's actually on the front page of the Tumblr. Absolutely beautiful color art of Jebel and Miriam fighting. It's a close head-to-head. It actually reminds me of what you would see on a lot of like uh, Japanese like anime box art. I believe it's by Outer Ring. Absolutely fantastic. It's got a little bit of the red cape uh, background that Jebel has shown in some of his art, but also has that blue flame lion or tiger or beast of some sort. Absolutely fantastic. And then the other one, which I am scrolling to right now, it's called Miriam's Lovely Smile by Names Too Hard For You. And uh, the actual name or are you just saying? No, no, no. Oh, no, no that's actually, that's the actual name, yeah. No, and, and the, the funny thing about it is that the artist uh, admits that they're not very good at drawing female anatomy. They wanted to do something that, that makes, like, that, you know, a really nice drawing for, for Miriam. And honestly, like, if the, if the face is any indication, then then perhaps they're selling themselves a little short. Yeah, I would say they're just being humble. Like this, I'm looking at it right now. It looks like an excellent drawing. There's a lot of expression there. It's incredible. It's, a lot of emotion in the face. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's called Brilliant's Lovely Smile, but it's actually not much of a smile, but it's like very, very subtle. In, in just the same way that you would think that Miriam would. Mm. Really cool stuff. I really love it. Dan, why don't you go next? Why don't you show off yours next? Cool. Uh, I have uh, two as well. The first one is uh, from Shiroi Komori, which if you know in Japanese is for White Bat. This one is a cross-stitched. I'm not terribly uh, oh, okay. knowledgeable about uh, cross Oh, that, oh, you're talking about that one. Yeah, yeah first yeah. it was the cross-stitch one. It was a, it's a picture of Jabelle, and it's this gorgeous like cross-stitching of, of his face. And, I mean, the way, the way cross-stitching works, it, it's like analog dot art. Yeah. And it reminded me very strongly of, uh, of this uh, visual novel called Valhalla. Uh, it's a cyberpunk bartending simulator. It's badass. It's really cool. <laughs> it's, it's an awesome That's game. not a joke. It's, it's, just, it's a really cool, like, just weird idea of a game. And, oh, man, it's, it's a fantastic game. But the art is, like, uh, it's made to look like it's on, like, a cyberpunk 80s screen. And it's got a very, uh, you know... It's got uh, scan particular... lines and everything. Yeah. Yeah. And just kind of the something about the uh, the art style of that really... Uh, this really reminded me of it. I like, I like the styles of both of them. The other one I've got is... A GIF animation of Goofball by Gene Mag, and um, it's a portrait image of Goofball, and he's flapping his wings, and uh, I guess that's a, the crown on top, like, it's kind of like... He's kind of jostling around, as it, yeah. Holding the fork in his tongue, and just, I really like that monster design. I, I, I'm i not sure, like, if it's if it's doing as well as I want it to, uh, maybe not, but uh, I really like that design. It's just something, it's it's goofy, it's strange, it's not anything I've ever seen before, and so uh, there's a lot about that that, uh, that really appeals to me. There's, you know... Of those different summons, there were what I would consider mass appeal, like summons, where it's like, I looked at it, and I'm like, ah, it's going to win. 
And it's a shame because I also like goofball, mm-hmm. but I just, I knew right away, I'm like, this is not going to be the one that wins, even yeah. though I liked it the most. Yeah, so, right. I think, you know, we're going to announce which familiar wins, but I have a pretty good feeling it's not going to be goofball. And that's a shame because I really wanted goofball in the game, too. Yeah, he's different from other designs. Oh, that was really cool. Uh, and those are your two. So my two, yeah, I'm going to finish this, is the uh, Reaper Familiar, done by Whispering ID, someone who's very vocal on the comment section. So thank you for all your uh, energy and for riling people up, getting them all excited for the Kickstarter, which is great. Uh, he put together a Reaper Familiar, also a pixel thing moving together. You know, it's just the amount of time and energy to put those together can't be easy. But the full animation sequence and everything. Full, really everything. Cool. It's got an attack sequence and everything. So, you know. Uh, yeah, I'm seeing you have notes for attack sequence B. Does that mean that there's an A? I don't know. I did not see the A, but there may be. Maybe, uh, that's awesome if he's doing alternates and stuff like that. So that that's great to see again, that sort of just pure fan excitement towards making something unique for this. Absolutely. And then the last one is by Emlon. It was a cute little comic where uh, Miriam throws the wine glass to uh, increase her parameters temporarily. And then the uh, knight, the evil demon knight above her, is like clean it up and she's in a crying and having to clean up the wine glass that she broke. So <laughs> I saw that. That was really cute. You know, as the, as the man that was there with two player productions, uh, when Iga threw the, the famous wine glass on the ground and I had to clean it up. No, I didn't uh, two player. They cleaned it up, but, <laughs> uh, true story that he, uh, Iga says, not to which means, you know, I'm not buying it. Yeah. Uh, basically is a rough translation of that. Apparently, that is now going through the channels in the Japanese game industry. People always now are saying that it's a joke between each other. That's awesome. I <laughs> like love if, that. If they're like, you know, oh, I need to make this game for two million, and then they go, not the Greek and I. So he's created a little like internal Japanese game industry meme That's through awesome. that video. The other thing that I see often with the uh, the Japanese comments is it's just straight up. It's just you know, Iga with like. They Twelve dozen A's. I love it. They don't do that in the Japanese game industry. That's that's a damn thing. <laughs> no, 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 it's, it's in the, not, a not in the industry. It's in the comment section right. of the articles. They don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> they're more. They're calm. You Look know. at them selling the other river. This that's is true. Right. Selling down the river. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Know, add a few vowels. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> so this is kind of like this is this is kind of sad because this is not the end of of J play. But it's the end of Ben's continued involvement on the show. And so I thought you'd like to take a few seconds to give a, a heartfelt goodbye. Ega! No, no, no. <laughs> you said nobody says that, and then you said it. I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> um, it has been a wild ride. It has been fantastic. Again, being a part of the Mighty Number no. 9 fan base, and then the Army of the Night. Ega's Army of the Night's been, again, as equally humbling and, and just awesome to be able to provide a little more color uh, on the background for this podcast. And we're going to be launching this podcast before we do the final four-hour stream. That will be at Indie Creates with a wide variety of different guests. Yep, I will, um, be, I will be there. Nine will be there unless his, his ticket gets canceled like E3, which would be a shame. <laughs> <laughs> but it'll be nice to have one final just talking to the fans directly, being with Ega, and seeing just exactly where this Kickstarter is going to end up. Will we get to, you know, 4 million? Will we get to 4.19 and be the biggest game Kickstarter? Will we get to 4.5 and I get to have my, you know, side story? Will we make 5 million and get to that secret goal? No one can say, all I know is it's been real and it has been fun. So... Thank you again for your support, and thank you very much, uh, people at Playism, for allowing me to be a part of this podcast. You know, honestly, thank you for joining us for every single episode. You've been totally awesome. <laughs> it's been really cool to have you on the show. And, uh, of course, 
This is not the end of J-Play. J-Play, the continued adventures of the Wait, Boston I want to say thanks, too. Thanks, Ben. It's oh, been really fun okay. hanging yeah, out. Go, like, go. Not even just uh, doing the show, but it's been cool to just spend some time together and just chill and talk and laugh about stuff. That's been fun. Yeah, this, is, this is getting like really sappy. <laughs> right. Enough. Enough already. All right. <laughs> so uh, this is not the end of J-Play, the, the Plays and Podcasts. You can follow the continued adventures of J-Play and the Plays and staff on playism-games.com. That's P-L-A-Y-I-S-M-Games.com. And we will see you all on the next episode of J-Play, the Playism Podcast. See you later, everybody. Goodbye. Bye, guys.